0: excited about the word. Come on. We excited about the word. Alright. Alright. Praise God. Praise God. Here's the quote. Get your Twitters ready. Your Instagram videos ready. We good? Alright, let's go. We must, well we can kill these monitors or something. We must not Blame the meat of society for going rotten if the preserving salt has been withdrawn. Or we must not blame the world for getting darker if the light is not shining. Can can we pray for a minute? Father, we just ask... For your anointing, God, on the speaker and the listener, God. Help us, God, to get ourselves, our, 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 our presuppositions, God, the things that we think. Help us, God, to, to, to just come before you right now and ask you to have your way, Lord. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Speak to us. Change us. Plant something in us that would, that would make us the man, the woman that you called us to be in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I was thinking the other day, for almost anything that you... There's no excuse for a lot of us today. For almost anything that you could want to do today, there is a YouTube video or a dummies book that you can get to learn how to do that. Amen? Amen. For almost anything, you want to learn how to do anything, there is an 11-year-old on YouTube that will teach you how to do it word for word, right? I researched and there, was, there are over 2,000 dummies books. You know, electricity for dummies, all, all those, those kind of books. There are over 2,000. The dummy that came up with that idea is a millionaire, amen? Everything we buy today comes with some form of instruction or some guide right i'll give you an example the other day my wife and i were in bed bath and beyond and we were looking for you know the store that smells real good when you walk in and you're always trying to get your house to smell that way but you can't we've tried You, you can't for an hour maybe but never like all the time So we bought a kitchen cart. We wanted like a a microwave cart, like a, a nice big cart for the kitchen on wheels that has, you know, storage. And so we've been looking online and, you know, everything online was crazy expensive. And then we went to Bed Bath & Beyond and we saw the perfect cart. It was beautiful. It was white. It had drawers. It had a bread basket. It had a butcher block on top. It was on wheels. It was beautiful. We, we saw it and we like, yeah, yeah, my wife said like, can we get that one? I said, yeah, yeah, that's the one, that's, that's pretty, that's nice. And so right underneath the, the demo that was there was the box. And the box was just as big as the cabinet, so I assumed that all I'm going to have to do is take this thing out the box, you already know where I'm going with this, right? <laughs> Throw some wheels on the bottom of it and we're good to go. Because the, it's not like a Kia where you buy a whole bedroom set and it's in a box this little, right? So you know uh, that's going to be four days. But this was already in a box the same size as the cabinet. So I dragged that box to the car, I dragged it to the counter, I dragged it to the, to the house. We get it home, it was already late in the evening, but we're thinking, so what? We'll, we'll, we'll knock this out real quick. So in the morning we could come down and sit on this thing and, ha- and have a little coffee on it or something, right? So we opened the box... And there, to my surprise, remember, the box is the same size as the cabinet. So I I didn't understand when I opened it up and there were over 200 pieces. (laughs) Every piece had a little sticker with a letter on it. I pulled out, there had to be 13 bags of different size screws with a little sticker with a letter on it. When I reached in, there was a 43-page book. It looked like an engineering workbook for, for college. And when I opened to page one, I, I, you know, me and my wife, were a team. We're like, all right, come on, let's go. You get the book, I get, we'll knock this out. Page one said, take piece mark to L, connect it to piece mark G with two J screws and one C bracket. I knew it was going to be a long night. (laughs) Amen? We got towards... I know this has happened to you guys. We got towards like 30 pages in. We got toward the last few pages and we found out that the first page L piece that we put in, we put it in reversed. Anybody been there? That means we'd have to undo 16 pages of instructions To get back to that, to turn that around, to go 16 pages forward of instructions again, to get, we said, you know what, this is not going to happen tonight. My back was hurting, my knees were sore, we were already kind of getting a little cranky with each other at this point. You told me to put it that way. No, I didn't. I told you the arrow goes this way. Yeah, but when I showed you, you said it was this way. All right, all right, all right. It was so overwhelming for something so simple. It was so exhausting at times, it was very frustrating. We had to walk away from it. And I'll be honest with you, it took two or three days before I came back and finished that thing. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we see this whole church thing that way. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we see the Bible that way sometimes. Anybody? It's a big book. We see Christianity that way sometimes. The, the Bible's a big book, man. It's a New Testament. It's an Old Testament. There's apostles and prophets and, and disciples and followers and, and, and Pharisees and Sadducees and Como and, and, and there's so many, you know, and, 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 and it's not as easy as we thought. Amen? It's not as simple as we might have thought. Anybody can agree with me or am I just talking to myself today? Church life can be difficult sometimes and at other times very frustrating, which is why I'm excited about this series. I'm glad you're with me on this. We're starting a brand new series I'd like to start today. A while back, I heard uh, Lee was sharing on a Wednesday night. A lot of you don't know what Wednesday night is. Wednesday night is a prayer night. Every other Wednesday night, we actually get together to pray, about five or six of us. It's awesome. And, and, and I heard her sharing on a, on a Wednesday night. You guys missed it because you weren't there. But um, she was talking about best practices. And, and as soon as I, I heard, I knew right then that would be a great premise to build an entire sermon series on. Anybody ever heard about best practices? Right? And maybe in, in your job, in the business world, there's a, there's a field, in every field, there's a best practice that, that sets the standard for doing things. Best practices are like the best way of doing things in that field. So I, I, I'll give you a quick definition on the, on the screen here. I, I try to make it as simple as possible. Best practices is a way of doing something that has consistently shown better results. Than other ways of doing it. You you got me? So, best practices is basically a way of doing things that have worked. How many of you want to do things that work? Amen? Aren't you tired of of doing things this way to find out that doesn't work? Aren't you tired of doing things and and what you heard? That's why the whole message series before was forget what you heard. We need to look at grace differently. Amen? We're doing things dumb the same way just because they've been done that way. All, the, all through our lives, but they've never worked back then. What makes you think it's going to work now? Amen? So, so we, we, we want to get into best practices. Companies want us to, to learn best practices because it's what works. And so I was thinking to take that and apply it to the way we do things in church. Is that all right? Yeah. So I want to bring you this sermon series, Best Practices, A Practical Guide to Church Life. I wanted to call it Church Life for Dummies, but I didn't want you to get offended. <laughs> Although that might have fit. Amen? So, so listen, if, if you're sitting here today and you ever wish that you could read God's Word and know in a practical way what God wanted me to do, if, if you ever wish that you could hear a message and wanted to know in an easy, understand way what it is God wanted us to do, then this might be a good series for you. Tell, tell somebody, Tell them, this one's good for you. This one's good for you, amen? Because listen, let me be honest with you. In about 24 years, I've been doing church life. I've been doing church with people for 24 years. And in 24 years of church life, let me tell you what I've seen. I've seen families brought together. And I've seen families torn apart. I've seen strangers brought into the fellowship. And I've seen strangers in some way, form, or shape thrown out of the fellowship. I've seen people build each other up, and I've seen the same Christian people tear each other down. I expected it to be quiet. That's good. I've experienced people who bring unity. You ever met somebody that everywhere they go, man, they just bring people to them, and they just bring unity. And I've also experienced people that everywhere they go, they bring division. You know those people. If you're sitting next to them, just keep looking straight. They believe. Make sure they're awake, but but don't pay. Don't look to them. I've seen I've seen I've seen confident leadership, and I've seen arrogant leadership. I've seen strong leadership and I've seen insecure leadership. I've seen leadership that was people-driven, that was ministry-driven. I've seen leadership that was program-driven, that was comparison-driven. I've seen uh, uh, leadership that's been money-driven. I've seen those with a calling on their life brought up and released. And I've seen those with that even have a little bit of gifting squashed and suppressed. I've watched words used to bring life and I've watched words used to steal, kill, and destroy. Anybody? Am I talking to anybody today? All of this I've seen inside the church. And the sad part about it I've seen it among the people who are the church. And all of this has happened while the world looked on and while visitors watched. And so through this series, I'd like to look at some various aspects of church life, how we do this church thing, and and I want to talk about what's healthy What's beneficial? I'd like to look at some areas that make up our church life and talk about some best practices for those areas. Amen? In an effort to try to get us to walk in the best practices that we can. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So we're God's workmanship created to do God's work, a work that God prepared beforehand, a work that we should be walking in, amen? So if you want to be in God's will, if you want to start doing what God wants you to do, we we, we need to understand what, God, what the word says, amen? So I want to cover some areas that God said we're going to have to walk in. And I want to talk about what's the best way to deal with them. I want to deal with areas like marriage somebody say "Uh uh-oh does anybody need any help in this area no you guys got it all figured out maybe you should go to a church where they got it all figured out (laughs) up in here we're still working things out amen let me give you i'm not gonna deal with marriage today but let me give you a quick sample one just a sample to, to get you ready for what a best practice is for marriage this is a sample this one's for the men Men, never, ever, never, never, ever, ever, never, ever, never forget a special day. Come on, ladies, say amen. Men, we are expected to remember every birthday, every anniversary, the day we first met, the anniversary of the day we first met. For bonus, you should remember the blouse she had on for the day we first met. We should remember the first movie that you've ever seen. We should know the anniversary of the first movie that you've ever seen. You should remember when you first said, I love you. Bonus, what she was wearing and where it was and what time of day it was. And you should remember the anniversary of the day you first said, I love you. Because, because, listen to me, one day, 15 years into your marriage, you will be at a restaurant, you've already worked things out, things are good right now, right now you're flowing, people are looking to you for marriage advice, you're flowing, you're at a restaurant, the mood is beautiful. The, the, the atmosphere is great, the food... You're, you're not taking her to Wendy's anymore. Now you're at nice restaurants. You're at Havana Central, chilling, right? You're, you're having some... Mo- anyway, so you're, you're there having a nice time and everything is right. She will turn to you out of the blue. Sweetie. Do you remember where we first met where you said I love you and what I was wearing? Men, your peace for the rest of that weekend will will depend on your answer to that question. Don't blow me off with this, guys. Proverbs 1.5 says, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. Amen? Best practices. That one I'm giving you for free. Just hold on to that one. Free of charge. I want to talk about best practices for relationships, best practices for ministry. Best practices are, are good things. If you'll notice, every office that we build and that we will build in the future has a window in it. That costs me extra money to put a window in those doors. Why do we do that? Is that a law? No. Because I want every office at any time with anybody in leadership, if they're having a meeting at any time, they know that anybody could come by and peek into the window. Why do we do that? That's best practices so that you know you are never alone in private with anybody. Can anybody see the best practices there? When we build classrooms, you see there's a window with a door, and there's another window, if possible. We cut open extra windows because we, want, and we don't want anybody of our leadership, although we trust them and, 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 and check them out and we believe in them, we don't want anybody in a room with our kids that we can't openly watch from anywhere. Amen? best practices for ministry. I want to talk about best practices for finances. Anybody need any help in this area? I want to talk about it and then I'm going to come have somebody come in, a specialist come in on a Saturday and give us a seminar for free on best practices and finances because we should be all out of debt. Amen? No, no, I mean that. We should all be out of debt. And, and that doesn't mean we come here on Sunday, God, you got to supernaturally pay my bills and you got to get me out of debt. But on Saturday, we buy a car we can't afford. We get into a car note that we don't need to be driving that kind of car. But we want to, you know, be balling like everybody else. When you don't have that money yet, you don't want to buy a Hyundai. It had to be a BMW. But you don't got BMW money. Anyway, best practices for finances. I want to talk about best practices for our devotional life. I want to focus on best practices through this series because, you see, you develop what you focus. Amen? So so what you focus on, you develop. So I'd like to start with something this morning that I believe is one of the most crucial things in all of our church life. And that's not just my opinion. That's actually according to the Word of God. It's the second most important thing Coming in only second to loving God. And that, of course, is the way we treat people. Hold on to somebody because this is Conviction City right here. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you this is this, this, the rest from this point on. We're not joking no more. From this point on, this message has some serious conviction issues coming with it. And I can only tell you that because. Whatever I write, I got to read. Whatever I read and study, I have to... Whatever I ask you to put on, I got to try on. Amen? I don't know how some other pastors do it. They could preach about anything and live something different. I can't. They, I haven't learned that trick, and, and I'll be honest with you, I don't want to learn that trick. Amen? So, so this is going to have some serious conviction, but don't get it twisted. It's not condemnation. Conviction is different. I don't want you to feel bad. I want you to be moved. I don't want to shame anyone. I want for you what I want for me. I want us to walk in the way God calls us to walk. Amen? I want us to use best practices when it comes to dealing with people. So let's jump into this. This is going to be rough. Hold on. I'm going to keep preaching. You can leave when you think you're done. Amen? All right? So that way we don't have to look at our clocks and our watches and all. Our... I'm going to keep preaching. Whenever you're done, you had enough, you can leave. I won't shout you out. I won't have usher stop you at the door. Here we go. Say, bring it. Bring it. All right, that's what we're going to do then. 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12 is a chapter dedicated to spiritual gifts. How many get excited about spiritual gifts? We, we operated in that this morning, we talked about that this morning, we take steps of faith and we pray for healing, we were in the back room and we pray for healing and we, and we pray and we step out in these spiritual gifts and, and God gives us all different giftings and different abilities and it's amazing, amen? And, and it's awesome that, you know, the Bible calls us, and, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, we're different. We're all different parts of the body. We make up. The mouth can't say to the feet, I don't need you. The feet can't say to the arms, I got no use for you. We all, amen, we're all part of one body. It's an awesome passage in verse 27. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually you're members of it. And and God has appointed in the church first apostles and then prophets and then teachers and then miracles and gifts of healing and helping and administrating and various kinds of tongues. And, And further down in 31, it says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. So God is saying, man, this, there's a lot of gifts, and, and we can look at them differently. We can say some are higher giftings and some are lower, but, but they're all gifts that God gives us, and, and we all make up one body. But Paul says, man, desire the higher gifts. Desire those greater gifts. Man, you want to, each and every one of us want to walk down the street and just have a prophetic word for somebody and speak life into somebody. Amen? Don't you want to walk down the street, see somebody limping and go and touch their legs and say, in Jesus' name, stop limping, be healed, amen? amen. Don't, you, don't you want that gifting? Paul says, desire those higher gifts. But then in closing, he says this, and we never preach about this. And, but I will show you a still more excellent way. Check it, it's in your Bibles. He closes 12 that way. He says, I'm gonna, he says, desire those gifts, man. I'm, I'm, but I'm gonna give you an even more excellent way. I'm gonna give you a more better way, Paul says. Think about that something better than healing, something better than miracles. What can be better than miracles? Paul says, I'm going to give you something better than miracles, something better than prophecy, something better than speaking in tongues. I want to show you a more excellent way. Now, what, I mean, really, I want you to catch the weight of this. What could be better than walking around giving prophetic revelations to people? And that's what we do as a church. We believe in that. What could be better than, than our teens that go out and, have, and get words from God and give them to strangers in the street and see God use them mightily and see God do something incredible? What can be better than, than speaking to the dead and having them raised? What can be better than, than opening blind eyes or deaf ears? Those things are amazing, but there's a best practice here. And Paul says, and Jesus backs him up 100% in every message he ever tells, Paul says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. 1 Corinthians 13, the next chapter, here's how, how it starts. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can... Move mountains, but I don't have love. I'm nothing. Say nothing. nothing. Do you understand that nothing? I can have a faith that says because you know we want this this pole moved, right? I can have a faith. One of you one day gonna come with a faith that says, Lord, move that pole, and it's gonna move. I can have a faith that can move mountains, but if I have not love, I'm nothing. He says, if I give all I possess to the poor and I surrender my body to the flames, but I have not love, I have gained nothing. Church, I want you to understand the gifts of the Spirit are given. The fruit of the Spirit is developed. Now, you didn't get that because I'm preaching better than you, amen. The gifts are given. We can be given gifts. I can have the gift of of speaking in tongues. I can have the gift of praying for healing. I can have the gift. But but the fruit of the Spirit is developed. See, for too long, the church has respected and admired and respected and desired the gifts over the fruit. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice that all of those things are not fancy showy things. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So Paul is saying walking in love is the more excellent way. Are, Are you getting this today? Paul goes on to give us the best practices for love. He says, okay, let me tell you what love is so you don't get it twisted. 1 Corinthians 13, here's, here's the crazy part because we read this at weddings, right? How many of you know 1 Corinthians 13, that's the love chapter, right? You've been in church two weeks, you understand. 1 Corinthians 13, that's the love chapter. You, 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 you hear it at every wedding. But here's the crazy part. I don't know if it's you, but for me... Because I always hear it and read it at weddings, I assumed that this love was the love that we're supposed to have with our spouse. But that's not what it says. 1 Corinthians 13, God is calling us to, it's hard enough to have this kind of love with our spouses, but even that's a struggle, but it's more than that. Let's listen, let's read what it says. 1 Corinthians 13 starting at four, it says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. Love is not proud. Love is not rude. It is not all about me, self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Thank you. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but love rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. Ah, oh, this is where it starts getting hard. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. That's a, like a bad word, right? Love never fails. Church, I know every single one of us in here have been guilty at one point or another of treating people with a love that's a lot less than this. Can we just say amen to that and get that out the way? Amen? But 1 Corinthians 13 is not about marriage. Nowhere in there, did you read me say, hear me say, nowhere in there does it say this is about marriage. This is the kind of love that God calls us to walk with each other. With you and me. Some of you don't even like me. And he's saying, you got to love me this way. (laughs) Let the haters hate. (laughs) But you got to love me this way. That's what the word says. We got to love each other this way. Jesus says in, in John 13 a new command I give you love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another by this all men will know that you're my disciples by this by the way we love each other people are going to know who we are best practices for this church life you want to know what's going to work you want to know what's the most excellent way Jesus and Paul says love one another love one another with the first Corinthians 13 love a love that is patient, a love that is kind, a love that isn't jealous, a love that doesn't brag, a love that isn't always about me, a love that isn't easily angered, a love that keeps no record of wrongs. Do you know what that means? The, 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 do you understand? That means when someone gets gets you mad at church, you're supposed to walk in a love that brushes that off. <laughs> And next week starts with a clean slate. You could be in here, listen, last week homeboy had an attitude. Well, guess what? I'm going to treat him this week like that never happened. That's Christianity. Oh, my God. That's love. Last week sister came in and she was thinking she was all about this and she was all about that and she think today I'm going to go over and say hi when I see her. Yes, you are. If you want to be in God's will. Yeah, you will. You will. Because instead, what's the alternative and what's the, what, what's the best practice or what's the common practice that we use in church? We'll stand on this side and we'll get together with a couple of like-minded people and when sister and homeboy walk in, you say, look at her, look at her. Uh, today she think I'm going to say hi to her. Watch, she could die. I ain't saying hi to her. And this is in church. And the two visitors that you brought are listening to you. Sister could die. If she fell right now, had a heart attack, I wouldn't even get up from the seat. Come on. Come on. You've heard it. You've said it. That's not a 1 Corinthians 13 love. How long are we going to be in this church life and not get it? I told you, this convicted me left and right, man. I got no shame in my game right now. I'm just convinced, I'm broken, honestly. I'm joking around, but it's dead serious. Does that give the, the right for people to treat me any way they want to? No. Can can they just walk all over me and abuse me and take advantage of me? No. But the word says in Romans 12:8, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What is Paul saying? He's saying, haters are going to hate, as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath. 21 says, don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Best practices says, what's healthy for me is to forgive them and to let God deal with them. This is tough stuff, church. If you're visiting for the first time, I, you know, I'm, well, I'm glad you're here because you might have thought these are some wishy-washy people up in here, but this is, this is for soldiers. Amen? Christianity is for soldiers, man. It's a battle. It's a fight. But let me show you why it matters so much. Because listen, it's so easy to excuse this all away. You've heard of all you. We've used it all. I'm human. I'm human. Homeboy punched me. I punched him back in the neck. I'm human, man. She talked about me. I trashed her too, and her kids. I don't know what kind of parent she is, letting her kids run around like that, right? We can, we can, we can go on, man. Oh, we all make mistakes. After you know, you clean the blood from your knuckles. We all make mistakes. I heard this one. We go through our things, right? How many here have gone through their things? How many here they've had, I'm going through a season right now. Just leave me alone because I'm in my season. In modern Christianity, you could slap the perfume off of somebody. You could trash them behind their back and then say, praise them, God's still working with me. God's still working on me. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But church, how long can we stand on excuses? How long are you going to be in that season? How long does that time last? How long are you going to give yourself to be the way you are and have been for the last 15 years in church ministry? Before we excuse this all away, allow me to put some weight on it, if you would please. Because the weight of this scripture fell on me this week as I was researching and, pre- and preparing. And you know how you can read something a hundred times and you can know it, and you can memorize it, you can spit it. But one day it just takes your breath away. One day it's just too heavy to stand and you got you to gotta get down because the weight, well, this, this, this happened this week. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was speaking to his disciples and to the crowd of possible disciples those that would choose to follow him from that day on. And listen to what he tells them. It's one quick little piece of the whole sermon. He says in Matthew 5.13, he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is not good for anything any longer, but to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. And then he drops some serious weight on us right there, and then he's saying, you, to his disciples, to his followers, you are the salt of the earth. And then he follows it up with another heavy one. He says in verse 14, oh, and by the way, also, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does, do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. They put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Listen, don't write me off yet. I'm, I'm almost done. He says to you and to me today, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Can anybody feel the weight of that for a second? Can you put that on yourself for a minute? Can you kind of take that title and put it on yourself? Put on the t-shirt that says salt and light today and understand that if the room is dark, it's because you're not shining Understand that if there's no taste, if there's no flavor in the world around you, it's because you haven't brought it. You are the salt, you, me, we are the salt and light of this world. Why does Jesus use salt? Let's get into this real quick. Salt was something very valuable back then. The Roman soldiers were actually paid in salt. That's how valuable. We get our word salary from the word salt. There's an expression that we still use, he's worth his salt. That comes from that time because salt was something that valuable. So Jesus is saying, you are valuable, we are valuable to the world. Salt was critically important in those times because how many of you know they didn't have freezers? Right? Right? And so there was no way to preserve the meat. The only method they had to preserve the meat was spo- from spoiling was to take salt and rub the salt on the meat. There's a rubbing involved with salt and meat in order to preserve it, and and they would store it with the salt. So salt was a preservative that kept things from going bad. So Jesus was saying you should have we should have a preserving influence on people. Come on, you please, please get this. You, me, we can keep things from going bad sooner than they than they can. Some things are gonna go bad. How many of you know the world, there's, a, there's, a, there's already a thing written and things are going to happen, right? But you and me have the preserving influence in us to keep things from going bad sooner, to give things a chance to make it. Unfortunately, the church has become a salt warehouse and has missed out on the lesson that for salt to have an effect, it has to have contact. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. We can't have all the salt in the house and preserve the world. For salt to have an effect, it has to rub off on somebody. For... for To prevent the culture from spoiling, we have to rub off on the world. We have to rub off on people to have that preserving influence. Instead, we allow the world to rub off on us. And when we do that, we allow society, we allow the water of this culture to water us down. And what does Jesus say? If salt loses its saltiness, what's the point of it? I preached a message like 10 years ago Say I'm bringing salty back. Anybody remember that? Anyway. Jesus says when the salt loses its saltiness, it's worthless. Consider this. The Dead Sea that that they were about back then and where they were and the people that he's talking to, the Dead Sea is full of salt, but it's only extracted through the process of boiling. The only way to get the salt from the the, the water, the only way to get that salt was to boil it. So... I don't like the idea of going through fiery trials. I don't think anybody here does. But if that's what it takes to make me salty again, then maybe I'm okay with that. The next time you find yourself going through the fire, could it be that God is removing the water to retain the salt? Church, we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Does anybody, are you starting to feel this weight yet? Too often we're too worried about and too busy dealing with ourselves and internal issues to be the salt and light of the earth. And all the while, society gets worse and worse. The God of this world drives people further and further away from the righteousness of God while the culture continues to decay and our children and even ourselves get swept away in it it's no coincidence that every movie or tv show today has zombies in it listen to me cuz i got like it's almost like a spiritual picture if there's not enough salt to preserve it the flesh dies i'm not trying to be funny or relevant The world is full of the walking dead. They're like zombies, spiritually dead and don't even know it. We have a World War Z. And we have the key. Worship team, you guys can come. I want you to think about this salt business because if, if, think about this, when God was about to destroy, remember in Genesis God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because the sin of Sodom had reached God and God said, I'm done with it, it's too wicked, Our these people, people are too wicked, I'm done with it, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's at a place. It brought God to a place of decision, and he tells Abraham. And Abraham says, "Hold up! If if you, you, surely you're a good God." Abraham barter[s] with him. He he stands in the gap. This is church. This is what we need. We need to be doing. Abraham stands in the gap, and and he says, "But God, you're a good God." And he, so he uses his God's own words against them. He says, "You're a good God. Surely you won't destroy the wicked with the righteous." What if there are 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah? Will you you not destroy it? And God says, fine. If you find 50 righteous people in this entire city, I won't destroy Sodom. Sadly, Abraham went to the first assembly of whatever down the block. 600 members. And he couldn't find 50 righteous people. I'm adding that. That's not in the word, but obviously he had to Right? And so he goes back to God. God, all right, God, what about 45? What if I find 45? God says, fine, if you find 45, I won't destroy the city. What about 30? What about 35? What about 30? Give me 20. Can I get 20? Can I get 25? Can I get 10? Can I? God's finally, where, where the bartering ends, God says, for 10 righteous people, I won't destroy Sodom. For 10 righteous people. You know the story. He couldn't find 10 righteous people. And so Sodom and Gomorrah and entire cities are destroyed. God was saying if there was just a little bit of salt, it'll preserve that city. Do you get to wait now? If if there could just be a little bit of salt, I'll preserve that city. But there's not enough salt to preserve all that decaying meat, all that rotting flesh. I don't want that to be our regret, church. If there was a little more salt, everyone at your job would get saved. If there was a little bit more salt, that city would be different. If there was a little bit more salt, that church would have never closed down. I'll be honest with you. I was so convicted by this love thing because I thought if there was one area in my life that I excelled in, it's loving people. I thought, I I, I had no problem with this. said, man, that's one thing I know how to do. I mess up. I I fail. I have thoughts. I'm not claiming to be perfect in any way. But I thought in this one area, I got this, God. I know how to love people, man. I love people and when I read this I realized I come up short in this area too and it hurts me I realized I'm guilty of loving people who were easy to love it's easy to love some people man there's some people in here you guys are so beautiful you guys are so kind so it's easy to love you but the Bible says even the pagans do that (laughs) the Bible says even the pagans love people that are easy to love Love that system. <laughs> I'm guilty of loving people selfishly because I needed their love in return. I want you to hear because I'm repentant, man. If, if you're talking and you don't care, that's, that's disrespectful, man. I'm really giving you my heart. I'm guilty of wanting to give up on people who were just a lot of work. There's some people I've been working with, man, for 15, 20 years. And I say, man, when are you going to get it? When are you going to stop being that way? When are you going to stop? When are you going to get this thing, man? And I'm guilty of wanting to just give up on people. I'm guilty. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I turn to my wife after a long, hard week. And I tell him, man, it'd be so much easier to just be the regular people. It'd be so much easier to just go to church like people could go. And then decide, well, no, this week I'm not going to go to church. It'd be so much easier to just sit someplace and, 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 and criticize. Man, that was a bad sermon. That dude was, he didn't bring it today. Man, that worship team sucked today. They, they didn't play my favorite song. I can't even get into worship if they don't play my favorite song it'd be so much easier sometimes I tell my wife it'd be so much easier to be one of those people you know what that church ain't feeding me I'm gonna go to church down the block you know what this church is whack I don't like their music I'm gonna go to church over here you know what this pastor got an attitude he think he's full of I'm gonna go to this church over here it'd be so much easier to be you know what I don't need church I just listen online I don't need no church church all they want is my money anyway I listen online that way I don't have to give no money I'm honest with you, man. I've been guilty of sin. Sometimes I wish I was those kind of people. I'm guilty of letting hurt feelings and offense turn my heart from people. Just putting it out there. 24 years of church life has, has has played a toll on my life. I'm guilty of letting hurt feelings and offense turn my heart from people. And I stand before you today and I repent. And then it hit me and I realized repentance is always a best practice. And so today I stand in the place of the leadership of this church and any church you've ever been a part of. And if we haven't loved you like Jesus called us to, I'm sorry. And I won't stand on excuses. I won't look for loopholes in this passage. I started to. I started to look, oh, but but God over here says, oh, but God says over here we got to be wise like serpents. Oh, but God over here says. And I could have found some loopholes and some excuses, but the bottom line is, If what we've rubbed off on you hasn't been the preserving presence of God, then I'm sorry for that. And I'm here to tell you this morning that I'm willing to work on it. I'm here to tell you this morning that I'm willing to keep trying. I'm here to tell you this morning that the grace that God has given to me, I want to extend to you and so for the next few moments we're just gonna worship in a real still worship and if you need to respond to this today please, please do that Jesus said by this all men will know that you're my disciples if we love one another and I'll close with the opening quote we must not blame the meat of society for going rotten if the preserving salt has been withdrawn. So family, i just tell you today, I love you. It's not easy, but I love you. And so together, man, if we're willing to do this thing, we could be an awesome body of Christ, amen? If we're willing to love each other, man, if we're willing to let go of past hurts, if we're willing to let go of past regrets, if we're willing to let go of what I did to you, what you did to me, what you didn't do for me, what you did for me, what I didn't do for you, what, if we're willing to get past that today... then I think we'll bring the preserving presence of God to everyone around us. And this neighborhood, this community, your jobs, your schools, they better look out. (laughs) They better look out because we're bringing Salty back. Amen? Come on, let's.